Jonah. It's really a gospel in a lot of ways, even though it's not officially the gospel. There's so much gospel in there. Um, Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And what's so amazing here is, here's Nineveh, the superpower of the world, right? City, right? Known for its economic strength and military power and, uh, and so forth. And there was no way an army could go in there and overthrow it. And yet God uses an army of how many people? One person. Jonah, and they were sacked, sackcloth, right? They were the whole entire city through one person. And that's not Jonah himself, per se, but it shows the power of the gospel, the power of the, 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 the scriptures itself in terms of uh, what God can do through his word. So, yeah, it's, we live in a great day, though things look very bleak around us and very dark. The gospel is the answer to the city into the problems of our own lives. Okay, Jonah chapter 3, he will hear God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the lowest of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger? so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Those are the best words in the chapter. He did not do it. But it's, I mean, it's amazing what God did in the hearts and lives of, uh, they were the, the worst enemies of Israel. They couldn't stand them. They were mean, they were cruel. And God says to Jonah, yeah, yeah, you, they, need, they need mercy too. And uh, anyway, we'll get into that chapter this morning. And, um, you know, remember where we ended off, right? Jonah has now, he's busy cleaning himself off. And he's washed himself. Why? Well, he's been inside that belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. So I'm sure he had to wash himself quite well and uh, perfume himself and so forth. There was no picnic sitting inside the belly of a great fish. But the Lord had brought him there. The Lord, you know, 
Jonah was recalcitrant. He was not obeying the Lord. And sometimes when that happens, the Lord, you know, he brings us down. And that's what he did with Jonah. He was a prophet of God of all things. But God brought him down into the depths to humble Jonah, to make him realize that, no, you can't do life your own way. You have to depend upon the Lord. And so the Lord uses that experience in Jonah's life to, to bring him back to himself into a right relationship with him. And now the Lord has Jonah exactly where he wants him in chapter one, <laughs> right on the shores, ready to go 500 miles northeast to go to Nineveh. But the question is, why? Why is God so insistent? Why is God chasing down this prophet, running after him, and to get him to go to this Nineveh, such a violent, it talks about the city being a violent city, so a lot of bloodshed. Uh, it was an evil city, according to verse 7. Why would he do that? The answer is God's compassion. His compassion and mercy. Yeah, God realizes, or God sees that they need to hear the good news of salvation as well. And so you see already way, way back, remember what God promised to Abraham? There you see in his promise that God's compassion flows out of that promise in Genesis 12, verse 3. What did God say to Abraham? He says, in you, all the families of the nations shall be blessed. God intended that his people Israel don't become like bottles where you'll hold in the grace. No, you like channels where you just, you spread it. You, you uh, broadcast it. You share it. And the promise, of course, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, reaches its climax where? In Jesus Christ. It's ultimately in him. Remember, his outstretched arms on the cross. And there as he was dying, as a sacrifice for sinners in the world, what does he do? His outstretched arms embraces, reaches out, you could say, reaches out to the world with the gospel of salvation. A world that so much needs him. A world that so much needs salvation. You know, Israel didn't see it. They didn't see what their purpose was on earth. They didn't see that their purpose was to, to bear witness to God and to his name and to his glory and in their lives and be a light to the nations. They didn't see it. And you see that in Jonah. What a self-centered man, self-centered prophet who only cared about himself, who only cared about his own well-being. That was Israel. And now you see in chapter 3, you know, Jonah is not fully, well, he's committed, but we're going to see from chapter 4, he, he's still a little bit reluctant. And, and then you have this horridly wicked city, Nineveh. But you know what stands out in this chapter? What stands out in this chapter is the compassion of God. Go cry out to Nineveh. Go cry out to Toronto. Go cry out to the cities in the outlying areas. The Lord shows us compassion. I think in three ways. You see it in three ways in chapter 3. The first is through what? In verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 is through the preaching of Jonah. Anywhere where God has the word preached, you see his compassion calling people 
to bend the knee to him. Through Jonah's preaching, first of all. Second of all, by working repentance and faith in the Ninevites. Remember, according to Acts 5.31, repentance is a gift of God. Certainly we repent, but why are we able to repent? It's because the God of all compassion gives that gift of repentance. You see that here in Nineveh. So that's the second way. That's the second how. How does he show compassion? Through Jonah's preaching, first of all. Second of all, working repentance and faith. And third of all, he shows the compassion by saying, no, I am not going to destroy them as I intended. He is going to use them as a city on a hill, a light, especially to his covenant people, Israel, who was no longer faithful at that time. Wow, how embarrassing, how shaming for the church in that day. Verses 1 and 2, he shows compassion by having Jonah preach to them. Look at verse 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Now Jonah, you get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach. The same word is used, cry out. The literal word is cry out to the city. With this message that I tell you, Jonah, you're not going with your own message. You're going with my message. This is the message I want you to bring to them. <sighs> Jonah couldn't stand the Assyrians. You know, cruel, awful people. God says, don't you go. And you know, he repeats the same commission. We're halfway through the book and we're starting at chapter one again. Exact, almost the exact same words, except there's one little difference. One key difference is found those words a second time. You know, there's so much in this, these words a second time. Because what does it show? God is a God of compassion. He doesn't give up on Jonah. God, God could have said, you know what? Forget you, Jonah. I'll use somebody else to do the task. No, he pursues Jonah and does the hard work of getting him back to where he's supposed to be. In his mercy and grace, he pursues Jonah. Even though Jonah resents it, he doesn't want to go to the enemies. He doesn't want to go to those outsiders. He doesn't want them to enjoy the privileges of the relationship that they themselves have with God, with the Lord, the privileges of the covenant. They're outsiders, they're enemies. Jonah dislikes them intensely. So does Israel. The Lord is so merciful to Jonah. He brings him back anyway. You notice his life had gone down, 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 right? When we disobey God, that's what often happens. Our life goes down, down, down. Jonah went down to Joppa, down into the belly of the fish, down to the bottom of the sea, if you read chapter 2. But now the Lord meets Jonah where he's at. What does God do? The Lord doesn't scold him. Notice that. Jonah sinned a lot. But the Lord doesn't scold him for his sins of the past. The Lord doesn't mention a single sin that Jonah had committed. Jonah repented. Lord brings him back. And he just, for the sake of his promise in Christ, he says, Jonah, I'm starting again. Go. This is your commission. Does Jonah obey this time? He obeys. He listens. Verse 3. Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. 
Now you see how verse 3 describes this exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. So I think three days would be in terms of crisscrossing the city, right? 120,000 people, but probably crisscrossing the city and probably getting to know the city at its important points, some of the areas that he needs to know. So yeah, a three-day journey, just to get a good impression of the city. It says here it was great. What does that mean it was a great city? Well, it was great in size, great in power, uh, great in wickedness. But more importantly, this city was great in God's eyes because this city was the need, in need of God's mercy. That, that's the greatness there. God sees it from his perspective. Sometimes we need to do that too. We need to see from God's perspective. This city is in need of God's mercy. What's the true hope of the city? What, what Nineveh needed was not a better school system. What it needed was not better social, social services. What it needed was not fewer guns on the street or fewer weapons on the street. What it needed was not a super city mall, like a big Walmart. What the city needed more and what the city needs today more than anything else is the mercy and compassion of God. I like what one commentator says. He says, only the grace and mercy of God can make the city beautiful again. Not politics. It's not found in politics. It's not found in education. It's not found in social services. It's not found in any welfare system. Only the grace of God can beautify our cities and beautify the culture again. And you know, it's the word of God that affects that real change in the lives of people. Uh, that's the power of his spirit, right? Lasting change at the very root, at the very heart of a city, at the very heart of a culture. That's where the change needs to happen. Everything else is sort of like a Band-Aid, right? You put a Band-Aid on, you put a Band-Aid on. It's always the same problem. Here, God recognizes that about Nineveh. What does he do about Nineveh's plight? They just need one thing, the word of God. Jonah, go, preach. Jonah began to enter the city, says verse 4, on the first day's walk. And what did he cry out? Forty days, he said to the people, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the shortest sermon I've ever heard. Right there, one line. Short, brief, very to the point. Lasting no longer than five seconds. Forty days, Nineveh, and you will be overthrown. It's a message that God told them to say, sharp, to the point. You notice that word, overthrown. Forty days you'll be overthrown. It's the same word that's used of Sodom and Gomorrah. When God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, they were destroyed by fire. That same word is used here. Forty days, and Nineveh will be turned into a pile of smoking rubble. So great is God's anger towards Nineveh. We should be careful. We should not pit God's wrath against his mercy. In his, in his wrath, there is mercy, <laughs> right? When there's wrath, there's an, there, that's an attention-getting thing, and God at the same time comes with, in his mercy with that. You go back to chapter 1, verse 3, right? It talks about God's, I mean, the, the, the evil of Nineveh became like a stench before him. 
And you ask, well, where's God's mercy and compassion in all of this, in this message? Well, there's three things here. He shows us mercy. God could have said, yeah, you know what? Eh, I'm not going to warn them. I'll just let them roast in the fire. They don't need to know. It's kind of like someone saying to you, I know your house is going to go on fire. You'll be destroyed. I'm not going to tell you. Is that merciful? No, God is a God of mercy. He doesn't stay silent. He warns. He comes to them. He comes to them, you could say, in the promise of Jesus Christ, pleading, crying out to them through Jonah. Second thing is, 40 days, the day of judgment. We face the day of judgment too. It's coming. But 40 days... But the Lord is still giving them time, 40 days to change, 40 days to respond. And also that word um, overthrown, it can be a bit of an ambiguous term. Overthrown can also have the sense of overturn. So yeah, God can overturn the city so that it sits right side up. So there's that sense there too possible. Jonah was only there one day and The message burns like wildfire through the city. You see God's mercy and compassion just flow out from his heart upon the city. How does he do that? Second, we see in verses 5 through 9, through the working of repentance and faith. Yeah, the Lord works that. This is a gift. If we we find ourselves repenting, (laughs) that's... It doesn't, I mean, we're the ones that are repenting, no doubt, but that's a gift of the Lord. He's the one who grants it, and he granted it. That's how much he loved them. He granted it to the Assyrians, to, to the Ninevites. And you notice how immediate it is, a sudden, a sudden repentance, a sudden change of the heart. You notice that, you see that, you see how the Lord works this wondrous change in his chosen people. Verse 5, And so the people of Nineveh believed God. What do they do? They threw away their idols, all their temples, and they worshipped. They believed God, it says. And verse 5 describes their repentance. This was real repentance. Not show, not pretend, but to the heart. They showed it, first of all, by fasting. It says there in verse 5, And then by putting on sackcloth, sackcloth was kind of like a burlap bag, you could say, that was put over the body from the the waist down. Okay, that was what they would wear, that was putting on sackcloth. Those were the two signs of mourning. Two signs of repentance was fasting, not eating food, and not, yeah, not eating food, but also putting on that burlap bag. From From the greatest to the least, What's that mean? From the highest positions of society to the lowest. From the oldest to the youngest. Jonah's not even finished preaching. And his sermon, he's not even finished preaching his sermon, and the people in Nineveh immediately act upon what they hear. I mean, it's every preacher's dream. Except for Jonah's. Right? As we'll see next time. But just that response Right? It goes to show it's not really up to the preacher. It's always up to God in the work of his spirit that brings change into the lives of his people. Here, all of Nineveh. You know what's more surprising here? Israel had the Bible. 
That was the church of the day. They grew up under the word of God. And you know what's happening in Israel? One prophet after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. They're crying out to the church. They're crying out to Israel saying, pleading, pleading for them to come back to the Lord, pleading for them to come to repentance and faith. And the church at that time was continually rejecting the Lord. They didn't want to change. They wanted to be like the world. They wanted to live like the world. That was Israel. The Ninevites, however, they only get one prophet and a reluctant one at that. They hear a one-sentence sermon. <laughs> you see, you, you see the ways of God, hey? They're wonderful, they're mysterious, they're marvelous. The ways of God, they repent immediately. In their response to the threat of God's judgment, you know what? The Ninevites are really showing themselves to be true believers. True believers. Well, the people of Israel, were they true believers? They weren't showing themselves to be that way. You know, the prophets came to them with the same message that Jonah gave to Nineveh. But when you look at Matthew 12, 41, just look there for a minute, because Jesus is speaking to the church in that day. And in Matthew 12, 41, he brings in Nineveh. Matthew 12, 41. What's he say there? He says in 12, 41, he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation, talking about the church that was not responding to the word of God, and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah has come. Today, of course, it's not Jonah, but it's Christ who pleads. It's Christ who pleads to us. You know, that they repented. But who led the way? It's so good when, when uh, leaders give the example. So important. Because when leaders give the example, that also leaves an impression on the people. Who leads the way? The king. The king of the city. That would be like our mayor, Olivia Chow of Toronto. Or Patrick Brown of Brampton. And them saying, city, it's time to return to the Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful if they issued a proclamation, if Olivia Chow or Patrick Brown it's time to repent and it's time to come back to the Lord. And let's say they said the exact same words as the king in Nineveh. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. I mean, is that possible? It's possible. It happened then. Will it happen? Uh, we might doubt that. Perhaps not. But it really goes to show the importance of the mission that God has given to the church in our cities. Really, really important. Verses 6 through 9. See the example of the king? The word came to King Nineveh, and his response, he arose from his throne, verse 6, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. What does he do? He trades in his robes, he gives it in, and he says, I want sackcloth, I want ashes. What does that mean? He says, I want to die 
to my sinful ways, my old ways. He shows a more godly response than many of Israel's own kings. Remember the king during Jonah's time? That was Jeroboam, an unfaithful king. This king gives it all up. As a matter of fact, you know what he does? By rising from his throne, it's like he leaves his throne and he says, Lord, you take the throne. He says, you are my new king and I will reflect your kingship and your authority over this city. This is, I mean, this is, this is Nineveh and the king was the worst of them. But amazing, the power of God. And he issues this decree along with his nobles. And he says, let neither men nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not lead them. Do not let them eat, drink, eat or drink water. But let men and beast be covered with sackcloth. And then he says this, cry mightily to God. When you say cry mightily to God, it doesn't mean, perhaps it could mean a loud voice. But just that intensity, the, the, um, the, the sense of great sense of sin in his heart. Cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and everyone from his violence in his hands. Who can tell, he says, who can tell will, if God will return and relent, if he will turn away from his fierce anger that we may not perish? Wow, what a confession. You know, he even gives God his rightful spot. Whether we perish or not, we don't know, but we leave it up to the Lord. It's in his hands. We trust him for his sovereign mercy. He was, a, he was a real Calvinist. I shouldn't say it that way. Calvin came later. But he, was, he had a real understanding of the word of God. He understood something of the sovereignty of God. Each one, that's true repentance. It's a call for each one to turn from his evil way. That's the Lord. He said, come back to me. Turn from your evil way. Turn from the violence in your hands. What's violence? Violence is what we see in our society, right? The violence is bloodshed. And it's not just murder on the streets. It's murder in the womb. It's murder in the schools. Yes, abuse in the public school system. Through the sex ed. Transgender mutilation. That's violence. It leads to violence. Who can say if God will have mercy? Of course, there's many more sins. There's injustices everywhere. There's so many sad things in our own lives, moral wrongs. But you notice here, Jonah, God is confronting Jonah all the time. He says, you know, it's time, Jonah, that you and your church come back to me. But this is the second time now. You see a great parallel between the king in chapter 3 and the captain of the crew in chapter one on the ship. The repentance of the captain and his crew on the ship is like the repentance of the king and the citizens of the city. And you notice the response is the same. The captain says in chapter one, verse six, if you go back to one, verse six, what does the captain say to Jonah? Remember, there's a storm on the sea. And the captain says, Jonah, arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us. And now the king in 3.9 uses similar language. Who can tell if God will turn and relent? Both the captain and the king believe God is sovereign 
Perhaps, says the captain of the crew. Who can tell, says the king of Nineveh. Both of them foreigners, both of them outside of the faith. You know, it reminds us of what God says in Romans, right? I will have mercy on whoever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. You know, it's on whom he wills, when he wills, how he wills. You know, and the fact that he has compassion on us, that's, that's, that's a marvel to behold. That's one of the greatest miracles. And to know that he always shows the way to his compassion is through repentance and faith. And we can ask for that gift, and he gives it to us. The outcome of the ship in chapter 1, the outcome of the city in chapter 3, reminds us that all who are clinging to God's mercy as their only hope in the face of God's judgment are going to find something. The Lord will rescue. The Lord will save. We have no further than to look than to verse 10. You see the Lord's compassion? He shows it by reversing his intention to destroy them. Why does he do that? It's because of Christ. Christ will bear the sacrifice. Christ will bear the judgment on the cross so that Nineveh will not have to die. Well, they were terrible, but Christ took upon himself and would take upon himself those terrible deeds. God hears and God responds to their repentance. Look at verse 10. God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. You know, understand here, God did not change his mind, per se, because they repented. No, it might look that way. It might look like that God changes his mind, but their change, they changed. And their change was in his plan, was in God's plan already that they would change. I always think about in terms of prayer, right? Does prayer change God's mind? No, prayer does not change God's mind, but God uses prayer to fulfill his plan in bringing change to our lives, in bringing change to our circumstances in our lives. God's plan here was to save them, right? And even that plan included that you could say the change of his mind. Because remember, this is the God of the covenant. That's what's so unique about the God of the covenant, the God of the scriptures, as opposed to all other gods, because he relates covenantally. He relates in a relational way. Um, it's conditional, right? If the relationship is conditional, if we believe and obey, if we believe and obey, there's salvation. There's blessing. If we don't believe and obey, there's judgment. There's curse. It's contingent in some way you can say in our response, but even then it's the Lord working on his sovereign purposes in our response, whether we believe or whether we disobey. God saw their works. What does he mean by that? Well, he saw their faith, and their faith showed itself in the fruits of repentance. What is repentance? It simply means to turn away from ourselves, from our sin, and turn to the Lord 
for grace. In Nineveh, this change of life showed in how they treated one another. No more bloodshed. No more violence. Replaced with forgiveness and love. God shows his compassion through repentance and faith by giving, by working repentance and faith in them. Three quick lessons. What may we learn about God's compassion in Nineveh? Understand, God does not show compassion to those who deserve it. Nobody deserves compassion, his compassion. God shows compassion to whom? The ungodly. We too were ungodly. You might ask, well, how God can have compassion on those people? Look, look how terrible they are. Look how bad they are. They're outsiders. They don't deserve it. Oh, and we do? I mean, we're no different apart from the grace of God. That's us too. Compassion. Compassion is mercy undeserved. It's, uh, it withholds. What's compassion? God withholding the deserved punishment from us and placing it on Christ. Look at Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that we, while we were still sinners, so we were not out of sin yet, but we we're still sinners, he demonstrated his love for us by dying for us on the cross. That's the first thing. God shows compassion on the ungodly. And it's his compassion that keeps us close to him. Second, there is hope for the city. The problem in our city today is not a lack of money. Definitely not. It's not a lack of education or resources. The problem is heart, the heart. The problem is the evil and the violence. And the king of Nineveh can teach us a few lessons here. He saw that right. God worked in him to see that. And the only hope for our city is the church preaching the gospel. That's the only hope for our city. The faithful preaching of the gospel, that's the only remedy to all our woes and heartbrokenness. And above all, it's the answer to God's coming judgment. And third, the cross reveals the heart of God's compassion. If you want to see where the heart of God's compassion is, look to the cross. Jonah brought the word, and it's that word that he brought that became flesh in Jesus. And Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, offering the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all who come to him in faith, but also obeying perfectly in our place because we can never obey perfectly. He's the ground that only ground of compassion for all who repent and believe in Christ. Yeah, in Christ. God is merciful and gracious toward sinners. You know what the king could say that day in all Nineveh and we today? In Christ, God gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. How blessed is the gospel that God gives. Amen.